right, so Sam Kirk founded Youth About Business in 1992. Don't trust Alvin Wade and what he thinks about accounting. Talk to the people like Ernst & Young and Deloitte. I'm a member of Youth About Business, so I've kind of come full circle in a way. Um, I was introduced to the program when I was 14. I still like to think I'm funny, but that, that manifests differently at 14. And just teaching students, like, this is what ownership looks like. This is what a board of directors is. This is what profit and loss looks like. This is what a cash flow statement is. Um, we've had um, risk management um, series where we talked about the insurance industry. And one area opportunity, got to get Mr. Kirk to do TikTok dances, man. Hello, welcome to the Dre and Smiley podcast, the inner circle where we have ordinary people doing extraordinary things as our guests on our show. All right. So speaking of extraordinary, I have a short intro I'm going to read and then we'll, we'll kick things off here. So after completing your MBA at Duke, Alvin Wade went on to explore the world of corporate finance, doing the small bids or uh, small relatively speaking at Barclays Capital. He worked at Walmart, Sam's Club, and in Alvin's current role, which is somewhat outside of, of corporate America, but still directly related to corporate America, I would argue is a hand and glove fit for Alvin. Um, so tell us a little bit about what Youth About Business is and your role in the organization. Yep, I'm the director of programs, so I put together all of our youth programming. Um, I sit between our advisory board, so organization. I'm going to take a step back. Youth About Business, we teach high-level finance and business and leadership to high school students. So that's kind of where I come in. And so we, we have what we call an industry-verified curriculum. The basic being, don't trust Alvin Wade and what he thinks about accounting. Talk to the people like Ernst & Young and Deloitte. Um, and those other firms. So I sort of sit between the corporate community and the student population, kind of helping create volunteer opportunities, putting together curriculum, um, teaching when, when need be, onboarding staff, really, really cool stuff. So I get to kind of look at the world every day, try to figure out what's relevant to young people, uh, talk to the people who know what they're talking about and repackage it in a way that high school students can connect with. Um, very, very fun stuff to do. And I think keeps me pretty current on what's going on in the world. So tell me about your background a bit. I mentioned earlier, you worked, you got your, your graduate degree at Duke. Let's go a little before that. So how, how did you decide to go get a graduate degree? Where did you learn about uh, the business world that exists and, you know, pursuing uh, opportunities at, like I mentioned earlier, Barclays, Sam's Club, and Walmart? Was it, did you have rich parents that told you, hey, Alvin, here's the path that you should take and and from you know a teenager, you realized, oh, this is going to be a, this is going to be a cakewalk. Uh, tell tell <laughs> right. me about your path. That's right. So actually, I I'm a member of Youth About Business, so I've kind of come full circle in a way. Um, I was introduced to the program when I was 14, and at that point, I had figured out that having money was better than not having money. So that's kind of where everything started. <laughs> so I didn't know anything about finance, you know. As a kid, I knew sports wasn't going to be my, my way. I thought maybe there was a show on HBO that I probably shouldn't have been watching at 14. Arliss, the super sports agent. But I was like, maybe I'll be a sports agent or somebody in the business world. Um, but I knew I wanted to do something. Um, and so by joining that program, that's what introduced me to Wall Street. So I met uh, Sam Kirk. He's the founder of Youth About Business. I think I was 14 years old, 99. Uh, coincidentally, last time the Titans were in the Super Bowl. And um, <laughs> he's like, you know, we're, we're taking students to New York. And before we take you up there, you know, so you don't embarrass yourself so you can like represent well, we'll teach you what goes on up there. And so we, we kind of had our first round of business camp. 
learned about mergers and acquisitions. Um, I hopped on the bus, got actually put on the bad bus. So I was very immature. I still like to think I'm funny, but that, that manifests differently at 14. Um, and, and that was my intro. I fell in love, you know, New York, big city lights. I mean, now we have all this nice equipment and zoom and stuff, but technology is a little bit more disparate. You had to like hop on a connection dial or have a CD with a, a thousand hours on or something to kind of see these things. And so for someone to say, I'm going to put you on a bus and kind of introduce you to this world was very enlightening for me. And so from, from then I knew I, I knew I could do the work. So my parents were not rich. Uh, my dad, I would say, uh, he grew up on a farm in Alamo, Tennessee, and he worked in agriculture extension. So I think he's just a corporate farmer. <laughs> and my mom was, was a teacher. So a lot of times on resource, special education, science, things like that. So um, there was no bringing home, you know, D's because she's a teacher. She knows when report cards are coming and she beat me home by an hour. We're in different schools. Uh, so I had, had good grades. <laughs> Um, but, but there's a disconnect, man. Like, I think having gone through the gamut of trying to be successful and getting to Wall Street, you got to know somebody, you got to have the best grades, you got to have the best presence. I mean, it's just not good enough to have, you know, to, to be the, the number 36 student in your class. <laughs> you got to have something extra. And so Youth About Business gave me that extra. I, I went on to Babson College uh, up in Wellesley, Massachusetts. So got a degree in finance and entrepreneurship. Uh, Babson is number one in the world. Statistically, you can look it up. I never heard of the place. And people would say, hey, man, at least you're going to college. I was like, man, this is, this is a big decision to me. Uh, but in the right. Northeast, it had a bigger brand recognition, but they, they claim to be number one in entrepreneurship. And statistically, you know, U.S. News Report would come out. They were that. And um, I think that adjacency to the Northeast got me really comfortable with the idea of kind of creating a lifestyle of my own. Uh, I, I got a job on Wall Street. Uh, it was a, it was a great time. 2007, great recession, working in credit, credit default talks. I mean, I learned a ton. This is not the time to go make money. Uh, <laughs> and um, interestingly enough, two years later, that's, that's kind of when people make a decision about going to grad school or, or moving to a, a hedge fund or things like that. We, we had made so much money in that credit desk and you couldn't talk about it and you couldn't pay anyone. Right. Because that would be despicable. People were, you know, what was the movement? It was like the 99 percent eat the rich and yeah. all this other stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm like, I'm the broke guy on Wall Street, so no one's throwing eggs at me, but it wasn't popular to pay out these big bonuses. And I'm like, this is my chance to get rich. Um, so I, I started doing youth about business for a couple of years at that point um, to build out their Chicago office, which was, you know, for a 24-year-old, this is different. Now you're working with an advisory board. You're responsible for meetings. You're recruiting. You're pretending to be Mr. Wade because you aren't that old, but you're a little older. Um, so, so it's a very cool leadership piece for me. Um, went to Duke to get my MBA, which um, I made it look hard. I was like, you know, I'm coming from the nonprofit world. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I hope I can get these business concepts. I, I crushed it, man. Like a lot of that stuff from undergrad and, and from youth about business really stuck. So that was just a good experience for me. And they just wanted to see something different. I mean, Walmart, you know, what's what's simpler than buying and selling stuff? Um, Walmart, you know, logistics, supply chain, <laughs> negotiations, the thousands of stores, um, living in Northwest Arkansas, just just fascinating. So, kind of did a couple things in e-commerce and retail, and still still look at that world with a different lens. Um, but kind of came back to organization. Mr. Kirk was like, "We got a lot of things going. Youth about business. We're growing." And I came back right before the pandemic, so I got the fortune of figuring out that virtual transition. So we have been doing Basic Camp live and in person, I think, for twenty years at that point. So now we're like, "How are we going to do this on a computer?" And we we got it done. So I was very really proud about that effort and glad I could be back to the organization at that time. No, that's amazing, and um, I like the way you. you gave us an overview of your, your journey. But as you make that transition, uh, I was listening to Mr. Kirk on the uh, YouTube video and he was talking about the Young People Online Academy. Have you found that your message has gone global? Say, are you have students for young people from all over the world logging in to 
to receive your message or is it mostly U.S. cities where people are logging in and, and taking advantage of your information? So we, we certainly have a concentration in the U.S. So I think um, last year we had 17 U.S. states kind of represented. I don't have the city level kind of off top, mm -hmm. but we did have five different countries. Right. So oh, there's awesome. uh, there's there's no real limitation. I will say those students who came in, in China and U.K., you got an hour difference, you know, so we're, we're probably putting in 55 hours that week. So if you're trying to start your day at 8 p.m. into the 3 a.m., it's, it's very difficult. But um, I think that for the first iteration, we, we did have people take advantage of joining wherever they could. Um, and I felt like it's it's a little bit like the the moon and the tides, right? Because mm -hmm. you, you kind of you have a school system that's basically talking to the population we want to serve. And they're saying, um, we got to get these kids back in school. Online working is not work. You know, online is not there. It's not good. And so here, you thought business because we're industry certified. We're like, no, corporate America is struggling right now. There's a great resignation. People aren't going back into offices. You need this skill set. And so it's it's interesting as the pandemic goes on. Year two, you saw a lot of parents that were like, I don't care, my kids behind a computer like this. And we're we're like, you know, this is what the future of work is going to look like. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that's an interesting dynamic. There kind of made me look at even households very differently about how we protect our children mm -hmm. and you know what things we we can put them in that actually stretches them versus protecting them from things that are going to bore them to death. Um, but it, it was just cool. And it's, it's every phase of the pandemic was different. I think even in the nonprofit world, um, the same thing with grocery stores. They had new issues in 2021. They yeah. didn't have in 2020. So did we. And so it was just kind of cool to, to solve those problems. But I think at every step, you advocate for those children um, and you make it available where you can. And so we certainly saw some parents take advantage of that in different countries. The one, one thing is a follow-up before I turn it over to Andre is, you mentioned you're the director of programs. And when I looked at, when I was doing my research on your impressive program, it, it was amazing to me with the 14 year olds, you start out with mergers and acquisitions. And I was so, into, I, I was, Andre, I'm all about young people as well and what they can do. And, and I was humbled when they were talking about EBITDA and different financial terms and they're presenting to the mock board of uh, stockholders. As part of your director of programs, are you doing anything like, geo supply chain management as a program or or international capital raising or is your theme always mergers and acquisitions because even coming from a supply chain like yourself that could be even a mock thing i was wondering as a program what other programs are you doing or is it in that vein or theme that's right so um I can't break the model, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of the same model that worked for me mm -hmm. 20, 25 years ago, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but I can change iterations to the model. And so the, the introductory, the M&A sounds very high level. And we get that students are going to forget most of that. But it introduces you to so many different people. So I think I've counted 16 different types of functional areas within a company that I have to engage with in order to just get through this competition. So you may not know that, but I've talked to a commercial banker, an investment banker, a marketing specialist, someone in human resources, someone in IT. And so that, that way for an entry level, at least gets you out of the, I'm interested in business and now into the, I'm interested in marketing. Mm -hmm. And so further down the line, I can kind of break up marketing into, this is, you know, advertising. This is, you know, mm -hmm. this is the, the uh, commercial side of marketing. This is SEO and, and um, research and online advertising, things like that. This is digital marketing. This is social media. So I think there's so many ways you can go. You can kind of get lost in that, that pile of straw, so to speak. Um, but that's how we do that in the introductory place. Our advanced level students come back and that's where we have a lot of fun. So Mr. Kirk will get involved. Um, we have a different committee um, that'll get involved. I think Andre, you're uh, our director of curriculum. I think Dwayne Rayner. And we, we just try to hit them with the hardest thing we can. So one year we took technology and said, you know, how can technology help with global obesity? 
Um, there was one year where they took, uh, I think they tried to figure out how to solve range anxiety. This was like five years ago. So if electric vehicles are to scale, how do we prevent people from being stuck on the highway? Like what kind of infrastructure <laughs> right. do we put together, right? Um, we've had um, risk management um, series where we talked about the insurance industry. And I think if you ask me, environmental disasters are, we, we just had a huge one, right? And so yeah. risk management insurance is, is top of mind. And so those students are probably looking at that very differently. So so we do take liberties kind of within our structured programs to, to introduce new and cool and topical things. Um, and we also have speakers that'll come. We had a speaker this year that talked about supply chain. So he's from Nissan and he's, he's explaining like, you want to build this truck where you've got parts coming from different parts of the world. And this is where things go wrong. And if any one of those things go wrong, you can't get your goods. And so hopefully the students are um, just being exposed to it, right? You still have college, you still have work experience. These are 14 to 18 year olds. Our, our goal is to just kind of plant those seeds and get that exposure to them. Awesome. Nice. So um, tell me the genesis of Youth About Business. How did it come about? Who, who started it? And then I have a follow-up question after that. Uh, so Sam Kirk founded Youth About Business in 1992. Um, I think he called a group of his friends um, to Atlanta, Georgia. And he was a senior executive himself. So it's, it's funny. We were near the same age, maybe a little bit younger than I am today, uh, back in the 90s. And, and he just, I think, was fed up. So if you think about the 90s, you think about crime, <laughs> you think about drugs, epidemics, it's... And even the flow of information, right? Right now, a kid can kind of go online and learn whatever they want. That just wasn't the case late 80s, early 90s. And so he said he wanted to create a program that's going to do something for the community. And out of that genesis came Youth About Business. So um, obviously, it wasn't you know, a multi-city model. It started in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, in that model, I think they focused on entrepreneurship, which I benefited from as well. So there's some real estate that's in Nashville, there were some businesses that they started, a restaurant, a bakery, and just teaching students like, this is what ownership looks like. This is what a board of directors is. This is what profit and loss looks like. This is what a cash flow statement is. And just trying to take some of that knowledge from other communities that may be, you know, passed along at some kitchen table because your parents have a network and democratizing it into underserved communities, right? Which is a big catch all right? A lot of people are underserved. Look at wealth and distribution, it's, it's concentrated. And so to break that, you got to start with education. And that was sort of the genesis in, in 92. Um, the program started expanding. And I think in 99, they moved to, to New York. Shortly thereafter, they moved to Chicago. Um, I think there was a, a presence in Houston with actual infrastructure and, and, and someone there. So it's never huge teams. You know, sometimes maybe a market director just on the ground creating relationships. Um, but we haven't um, left that piece out. There's still a seven city expansion model that's on the table. And I think virtual has made it a little bit easier to test things in certain cities. But the genesis was was just a group of men um, that were looking at their community and saying, we don't like what we see. What could a solution be? Um, what were some of the ingredients that we need? We need capital. We need <laughs> courage. And we need to tell these kids the truth. We got to prepare them early enough. And so that program actually started them um, from 10, 10 to 14 was a different program. They, they did some apprenticeship. 14 to 18, the high school area did more leadership development, college readiness. Um, and we've sort of been iterating on that model ever since. So talk about the impact that this program has had what, in terms of what you've seen. For example, you yourself, um, you're one huge success story from the program, right? You started out when you were um, 14 years old, and now you're running I don't know success story. I won't say that. I think Mr. Kirk uh, at least uh, fooled him, so you know, we'll see. But um, yeah, and so you, you're, you're clearly one success story, but... Talk about the impact in general that you've seen youth about business have in the community and across the cities that you're uh, operating in. 
I think um, I'm going to kind of go on a tangent a little bit. So like social media creates this anomaly where you see other people doing things and you say to yourself, like, I can do that. Right. <laughs> and, you know, there's a healthy way to do it. Like LinkedIn, you know, gives a notification. Andre got a new job. He's moving up. And if you're cool with Andre, you're like, man, I went to school with this dude. I can do that, too. And so for, for me, and I, I'm one of the older alumni. I'm not the oldest alum, but I'm one of the older ones. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really didn't have that cohort to look up to. Like there was no youth about business alum I could call that was working in private equity or that was working on Wall Street or that had started a company or sold a company because we just didn't. We, we were we were in high school. <laughs> and so um, I, I went to a magnet school, which is a great school. I'm, I'm always grateful for what my parents did. Um, students out of that school did well. Still a public school, but a magnet school. But that being said, there, there were no black men that I could think of that I knew that had gone to Wall Street that I could pick the phone up and call for advice out of that network. Right. And so um, I was the first alum to go to Wall Street, which, you know, felt like a real scrap and push. But after me, it's like every alum went to Wall Street. (laughs) You know, I can probably name six people from my high school that went to Wall Street. And so um, and and I think what it is, is not that we're exceptional people. It's just that people saw that and was like, I know Alvin, like if he can do it, I can do it. You know, and so I I see all these success stories and, you know, talk about an alumni network. Well, what is success? I want people who come behind me to take half as much time and go twice as far. Right. Because we know the old ads, you got to work twice as hard to get half as far. I want to, I want them to work. I want them to go twice <laughs> as far in time, right? And so now there's a model in place. Uh, we've got, you know, founder of Slim and Huskies. EJ was on that bus. I was on the bad bus. I don't know if EJ was on the bad bus, but like he, he went to New York with us, right? Um, you know, I, I think we, we got Kim Massey, who's like a sister to me, who's, you know, now, now a C-suite executive. Um, it, I don't want to say all my friends, but I think the majority of my friends have gone out and they've done well and they've seen success and they've seen each other be successful. And I don't really know what the impact has on someone like, you know, a new student. Right. But I do know you come to my camp. You can't say I can't do it (laughs) because I did it and everyone on staff did it. And we know you can do it. And it's my job to make sure you go twice as far. So I think um, we're we're still early. I I joke that we have a 40 under 40 list because a lot of the alumni we we shout out are under 40 years old. Let's see what the next 15 years look like, right? When they have headcount and staff and budget and things like that. So uh, I, I think it's cool that we found success in a way. Uh, it's, it's odd that success in business has changed, right? The, just the temperature around working your whole life has kind of changed a little bit. So we, we've favored the narrative about, you know, go work at Wall Street. Kids don't want to do that. I don't want to work 90 hours a week because it's a life choice. And I think the cool thing is, can you make that choice? And I, I love that for us, success is that we've created enough outlets and enough success stories that we can now honestly say, I can get you where you want to go. You want to go accounting, you want to go consulting, you want to go banking, you want to start a business, you need capital, you need VC. We, we got it. We have somebody. And that's, that's just a part of the alumni network. And I think some of that just would not have happened without early exposure, without confidence, without some of that, you know, social media effect. You can do it. I can do it. <laughs> you know, and it, it is a family. You can call me. Anyone can call me. They do. My phone number has been on the website for 15 years. And so I think that that type of relationship in a small organization has just created outcomes. And I think that's exactly what Mr. Kirk kind of saw coming. And I, I hope he realized that that's in play. And we hope that that continues to be a virtuous cycle. The one thing I, I noticed when I was looking at your YouTube channel, and I, I mentioned this to Andre before you got on the call, I was most impressed with all the young ladies who had testimonies on your testimonials on your YouTube channel. Can you, from your experience or with your alumni network, um, what would be the demographic makeup of like the women versus the men versus is it 50 50 80 40 men women 
And and I told Andre, I was like, I want my daughter to do this. She's 15. And I was just so impressed to see so many young ladies of different ethnicities in your program. So can you give us a little, was that by design or is it just happened to be the makeup of the diversity in the area of Nashville or Chicago where your, your programs exist? I, you know, I, I haven't studied the causality of it all, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I do know it comes out as 51, 49, 48. You know, it's, it's not going to swing beyond 55% one one okay. gender. And one year, I think we have more young ladies. Um, so I, it's interesting because in high school, you know, all the guys are knuckleheads, right? right. It's like most of my friends are dumb. <laughs> right. It's like maybe not academically, but they're just kind of dumb. Yeah. You know, like they're going to do things that just aren't logical and sensible. And we knew it's like the, the girls aren't doing that. And they always kind of have more leadership. And I don't know what society's doing, but it's, it's true. Something happens between those high school experiences, the college experience, and life where they're just not, not you know, they're not moving up at the same rate. They're not getting the same promotions. Um, and so you see them fall out. But at the high school level, the, the young ladies crush it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're in those CEO positions. <laughs> they're they're presenting their ideas. I mean, they, they push back and they do really well. And so I, I don't think, I, I think if we looked up and saw that the, the metrics were getting way out of whack, I've got 60, 70% men and 30% women, I think we'd do something. We'd have to ask some questions, but the last few years have just been fortuitous with a half and half split. And I, I think also it does feel empowering to be a young lady and to look on mm-hmm. a YouTube channel and see these are the women that came through what I went through. And these are them as, as young girls being confident and taking steps and, and they can do it. They don't have to be intimidated. It's not an old boy network. It's something they can do as well. So um, I, I don't experience that as a man, <laughs> right. but I'm, I'm sure um, for, for young ladies, it's something that they can feel comfortable with. And they're not by themselves, right? So I think, again, half and half usually where we come in, but we're not going to swing too far from that. So if the, the, the gender is half and half, say like 50-50, what about the ethnicity diversity? Because I look like some of the representatives were Asians, were Hispanics and African-American or does it just and then I even saw a white person? I mean, not to say that just shouldn't be, but it's just youth. And I, I then I said, let me go back and read the charter. It didn't say for minority; it just said underserved children. So, what's your makeup from, say, the race perspective? It, it's so interesting because skin skin color do all the work for you, right? You know, I'll go to some <laughs> rooms and say I have this program, and, then, and people will be like, "Oh, it's for black children." It's like I didn't say that, you know, <laughs> right? Um, and I'm guilty of but, that. Uh, we, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's it's funny that the young people don't see race as vividly as we do. Mm-hmm. But if you think about who's putting them in the program, it's parents and teachers and administrators, right? So if I'm an administrator, I can decide whether or not this is good for my population of students. Or if I'm a parent, I can look at the website and say, I don't know if I feel comfortable. But that's that's not the case. I, I think we fall in, um, call it 45% African-American. Um, we have a large Asian population that's growing, mm-hmm. call it a quarter of the group. But you can split that, um, you know, Indian, South Asian, East Asian, mm-hmm. um, Hispanic, white kind of toggle, usually around 10, uh, 10 to 15 percent of that group there. Um, and that's, that's kind of the lion's share. There's there's a few others. There's there's some, you know, I, I don't know what, what a mixed child identifies as. So maybe biracial, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, but there are some shifts. And, and it's interesting that the shifts are coming from different communities. So you talk about the Asian community. We, we get students from China every year. They're on WeChat. They're on WhatsApp. <laughs> you know, and it's like they find us. And, you know, a lot of times these students aren't in natural networks that we have. And so I think uh, if you look at sort of what that population did, even at the Harvard level, right, like they're suing Harvard because our students are qualified and they're not getting it at pace. Um, it, it's another piece that just says this program works. But I love the diversity piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a bigger issue is probably like um, economic diversity, right? So yeah. probably 10, 15 percent of our students identify as households that make over a quarter of a million dollars. We don't support them financially and we don't recruit them. 
But I think it's beautiful. You know, we had a, a volunteer. This guy really got under my skin. He's volunteering. And he's like, this young lady goes to a, a really, uh, I think it's one of the best private schools in the country. She did. She goes to one of the top three. I think this where George Bush sent his kids. But I'm like, well, where else is this other kid from East Nashville going to work with that person? Mm-hmm. You know, you want to keep them in social and economic isolation. I think it's beautiful that this young lady is going to be is going to work alongside this person. They, they're both failing their test and they're learning at the same time. That's not going to happen in the real world. Right. And right. so I, I love the fact that this program can attract all types of people. And it's a level playing field to, to the point of students not knowing this stuff. We test them. And for the most part, unless they're cheating, because online has some opportunities, they're, they're failing this stuff. You know, so we're, mm-hmm. we're able to teach them um, and, and kind of build at the same time. So. Something you, you said that resonates with me, um, being an educator myself, is that you appreciate the fact that they're failing, right? Because you see that as an opportunity. So that, that resonates with me. Tell me this, being a, a nonprofit, what's your biggest challenge in terms of keeping the program going? I mean, it's been running since 1992, I think you said. What's the biggest challenge to keep it robust and you know be able to make these pivots and things like that, create different iterations of it? What's the biggest challenge? So as, as I've matured, I'm starting to see systems in ways that I just didn't see them, right? School systems, um, funding, budgets, corporate alliances, things like that. Um, so, so I think there's probably probably two things. There's, there's a programmatic element where you have to stay relevant. Like there was a shift, I think, earlier where kids were into technology. And so if you miss that shift, you're going to miss <laughs> the wave. You know, every student now, you may take a finance class, but you're also taking a coding class, right? So I think just making sure that you're cutting edge, that you're relevant, that you're sticking there. And I think the business world will force you into that. So, so I think we've kind of got that one covered. Uh, the second is just, uh, I think the, the tide changes, right? I keep talking about water. There's water on my, my background screen here. But, you know, some companies, if you look at their funding, right, they fund in three-year cycles. Like, I want something new and shiny every three years. I don't want to fund the same stuff, right? Um, they'll talk about, uh, we want organizations that are self-sustaining, which basically means I have enough money to, to move into perpetuity. But they don't give you enough money to create, you know, um, an endowment and, and all the stuff that they want to cover are expenses. <laughs> so it's like, if I got to send you receipts for all the money you sent me, then how am I going to sustain myself? Right. And so I think some of the stuff is, is systemic to just how um, corporations look at nonprofits. And, and, and some of that's us, because we I think over 90 percent of our funding comes from corporations. We like the corporate community. And that's just unusual. Most times nonprofits will have five, 10 percent of their, their donations to come there. And so um you know, recessions are not great when you teach your finance and you ask for money from, from big companies like that. Um, but but I do think the results speak for themselves. So when you're able to create internships, you're able to put people, you, you show them the, the students and their outcomes, you kind of create baselines. I think that's really cool. One area opportunity, you got to get Mr. Kirk to do TikTok dances, man. Like, I think. <laughs> I've heard about that. <laughs> he likes outcomes, right? And social media is a lot of a lot of awareness, you know, and I think right. there's something that comes out of it. There's a lot of nastiness too. And so I think um, we've got to figure out how do we promote more because we've got, you know, I, I don't even know what the actual number is. It's, over, it's north of 8,500 alumni out there. Wow. But that YouTube channel could have a thousand videos, right? It, it could have a lot of testimonials and people forget because they're successful now. You know, that, that was when I was 14, 15. And so are you really clawing back and having those stories told? So I think, um, I, I think you got to have a relevant program. You got to make sure your funding sources are going to be sustainable, which I think is always going to be a challenge. And then are, are you staying relevant in terms of telling your story? So I think we, we've got the stories. We're working on that piece in terms of social media, podcast, kind of outreach. We'll continue to do that. If we can do those th- three things. I think we can kind of hold out. But um, it, it does become challenging. You got to make sure you understand what's going on out there, because as a nonprofit, you know, there is some pro- program service. 
but the the group we want to serve we can't really charge them full freight right and so we have to depend on those corporations to understand what we're doing and our impact and to continue to support that which we've done fairly well with and we got to continue doing that that makes sense another follow-up question one of the reasons i asked about the challenges is because i was wondering about the alumni and their involvement as it relates to you know, helping to support the, the program that they came through and kind of was a stepping stone to their success so do you guys have a communication channel established with all the alumni where you reach out frequently and kind of share the impact that you've had over the years since they've departed and what your goals are going forward so we we keep track of who they are and where they're going a lot of it is informal because we think about the trajectory you know i think my email when i was 14 was like little way don't want it hotmail you know something like something i wouldn't want to put on a resume <laughs> and, and then that changes to alvin way to babson which changes to alvin way to barclays which changes to alvin way to duke which changes to, you know mm -hmm. so like um, social media really became the thing that connected us but if you look at what happened last year, I mean, Donald Trump is not a textbook example for, for much, but he got kicked off of like, I didn't even know you could do that. He got kicked off of Twitter, basically. Yeah. He got kicked off the internet. Um, and so I, I think, you know, Mr. Kirk is so forward looking. He's like, I don't want to be beholden to Facebook, right? And so I think social media presents a way to connect folks. But I think we've got a, a, a line of sight to creating our own kind of warehouse where, where students can come. I think the challenge there is they've got to come back and we're doing a better job of that as we started engaging with more college students. Because that's typically where you lose a student. They'll have a good time, but they'll change that email address and you kind of lost connection. But now that we have internships and other engagement opportunities, the pipeline's kind of extending a bit outside of high school. Um, and so just making sure we have a warehouse of where we can keep them, directories, and reaching out constantly to get them. So email is traditionally how we do that. Uh, I don't know if that works most effectively. We, we do have a Facebook page that's active. I think Instagram, Twitter, those types of things. But I think there could be a more concerted effort just to get the storytelling to go. And also to remind people, right? Like I think people will forget you know, you've done so many programs by the time you're at your first job when you started when you're 16 that you forget the first time who you were. You know, we got you on tape. It's like, yo, you wore a purple suit to your presentation. That's my favorite part, seeing the seeing the suits that come out for presentation day because no one taught the students, right? Like, this is my nice suit. It's like, that is a problem. It's not like a business suit. You, you, you hit a nerve with that because Andre and I were talking with one of my VC friends and and he remembered we were in Hollywood and I bought four suits for $50 a piece to go to work. And I had a corporate America job. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, it's, it's a suit for $50. And he's like, you can't go in front of people. And, and like I went, I dove head first into corporate America with a $50 suit that was all polyester. If it rained, that suit would have fell apart, man. Oh, One thing away from not having And of course, on our podcast, he had to mention that. So it, it, I, I guarantee you, it happens every time you see the zoot suits. Yeah. You see the right, right. Because they, they don't know. Someone has to tell you. My, my dad, I think he's a genius now. I used to make fun of him because he wore he wore short sleeve dress shirts. And I was like, Dad, what are we doing here? But really, it's like 100 degrees in Tennessee. So he's like, who's the dummy now? You walk around in a suit sweating. Um, but like, capto shoes, you know, um, cufflinks, spread spread collars. Versus, you know, you look, you be like, why does this dude look so good? And I look terrible. It's like, well, he's wearing a spread collar and you're not. And, and his collar is going to connect with the lapel and yours isn't. But someone's got to tell you that, right? Um, how to eat. Can you imagine? We, we, went, we had a Wall Street dinner and this MD brought out pizza, man. So all the animals we're looking at each other like, what do we do, man? Do we grab it? Do we cut it? 
yeah, we, we didn't ask. We're just like looking. We're waiting. Uh, we're waiting to see what he does, right? And it's 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 those collection of little things that create self doubt and create um, what's what's the term they call it? Uh, well, we just don't feel like you belong. Yeah. So I think someone has to come and teach you. And so YB is very masterful at doing all these little things. And I think people forget about that. You like, know, I'm just successful. It's like no, we, there was a plan in place that taught you some of these things, right? So, so I think those are the fun stories we want to tell. Um, but I, I love that because we have, we have we have footage. Like I've got you on tape, man. I know, I know exactly what you're doing in high school. That, so don't play me. Like come, come support. Send some money, bro. Like let's let's keep. Going. Or else. I, I think it's it's amazing that you're you're doing the basic blocking and tackling, which is the the fundamental stuff to sit at the table. A lot of times it's like. We want to be included at the table, but once we're at the table, how do we eat once we're there? You know, so I, I love yeah. that concept. But the question I had is, um, you mentioned earlier that you're the age now that Mr. Kurt was or Pastor Kurt was when he started with this program with his friends. If you were to just assuming recessions, black swan events, different things like that. But 10 years from now, 20 years from now, where do you see uh, youth about business? Do you see it just in every city in America, all over the world? Or or if you just had infinite cash, you're perpetually endowed financially with capital, what would that vision be? What would make Mr. Kurt extremely happy to say, you know, I started this during the 90s and now we're on every continent? Or I don't know, how would he complete that sentence? Like, I'm most proud of yeah, he's a he's a he's a very well measured man. He told us he was like, "I'm going fishing when you when, when we open our global business." He's like, "When you have your London Business School camp, your your global camp, awesome. I'm going to quit. I'm walking away." Okay. Um, and so it's, it's funny, like you, if you have an experience anywhere, right? You gotta go to Walmart. I love Walmart. So shout out to people at Walmart who are watching this. Um, but you may have a horrible experience at a store, right? Like this, you're gonna still shop there, but they they have the capital and the bandwidth to fail, right? Um, if, if we don't come correct, I can't not know what's going on or not show up. You know, like people are going to say this program is, is underwater. So I, I think there's a certain amount of scale that you can reach where you say to yourself is that my problem is that I don't have enough quality people to run this program. You know, mm -hmm. and so I, I think our expansion model is regional, at least for, for the U.S. There's seven regions we want to build out. I think we can build it through alumni. It's incredibly difficult to work at nonprofits if you don't know someone. So yeah. we talk about nepotism. This isn't nepotism, mm -hmm. but like you just have a better story when you've been connected for such a long time. And so I've known the ways of youth about business since I was 14. And so I, I have that. But I think um, there's a certain standard that you just have to carry yourself by. You've got young people looking up to you. Um, you. You have to behave a certain way. Right. And so I think finding those people to fill out those markets, to tell those stories, to, to get in person is going to be important. I also think it's hard to teach certain things virtually. Like, I think right. it's, it's great for building scale. But again, like, I want to see your suit, man. I want to see the way you eat, <laughs> right. the way you talk, how you shake hands, okay. eye contact, right? So I think it's going to take some, um, some some models. And in Tennessee, we have actual real estate. So we've got land there that, that was acquired a long time ago. I think it'd be nice to have land in other markets. Now, again, buying corporate space in New York is a lot more expensive mm -hmm. than, you know, Nashville in the 90s. But I think to some point, having a physical place where people can come and fellowship and and participate will be really, really, really successful. And then um, once you get to London, that's the global hub, man. Everyone, mm -hmm. you know, everyone's just a little inconvenienced by the time zone in London. Not totally, just a little, right? Okay. So I think that's a good place to launch something like that. Um, but we, you know, there was a lot of interest in the past. Remember, uh, Oprah had that school in South Africa. Mm -hmm. We got students in China that want to send things over, right? So I think there is an opportunity globally. And I think you have to think globally, right? right. The, the technology has forced it to be that way. And so I, I don't see what would prevent us from doing something like that in the future.
Nice. So before we go, go into our final four, so what we call them, final four questions, um, something that, that resonates again with me, Alvin, is your passion for youth about business. It's clear to me that um, having come up through the program, having lived in the real world, uh, and now I've been with the program for a number of years that you really believe in, in the success of the program, which is great. I get the same impression from uh, Mr. Kirk when I you know, talk to him about the program. So here's a question. If, if there are parents that are listening to the, this podcast, if there are uh, students 14 and up listening to, the, to this podcast, what's the easiest way for them to get involved with Youth About Business, whether it's joining the program or wanting to contribute is there what's the easiest way for that to, to take place it's go to the website um there's there's an intro session called business economy of america that's where we induct all of our students um we'll start checking those or we'll make changes by november 1st and you can sign up it's a simple application it takes you about 10 minutes to do we've stripped it down to make it more user friendly um there's a 99 payment that covers your participation for the whole year sign up make the payment we'll reach out to you it's, it's that simple right um, that does not cover the, the cost of the entire program. It's a nominal investment, but I think it's an important one, right? Because we found over the years, like the students that actually don't pay anything never show up. <laughs> you know, right. they're just not, they, they just don't. And it's sad. And I, I kind of pushed back at that until I observed it, right? Um, it doesn't matter what the, the level is. So that's that's sort of the skin in the game. But yet, youthaboutbusiness.org, um, there's a programs tab. You can sign up directly on the website, 10 minutes, basic background information. We can get you inducted into new training as soon as January and some really intensive summer training starting um, the first week in June for our Southeast students. So that's the easy way. And it'll come to me. I'll be the one reaching out. <laughs> I'll see it. And so so that's easy enough for sure. What? Okay. And if, if there's a parent that wants to contribute, wants to donate because they believe in everything this program represents, what's the easiest way for someone to donate? Same thing. Go, go to the website. Kick the tires. I always tell people, do not trust people who work for these organizations. Look around for yourself. Go to the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. read, look at alum on LinkedIn. There, there's some names there. And there's a donation tab. There are different levels you can donate. You can um, you can give $10, $50. You can sponsor a student. Um, you know, All those proceeds and those funds go to student programming and building out the organization. So it's a mission that we believe in. Uh, it's 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 mostly faith-based, right? But I, I feel confident enough to say, do your research, do your due diligence. Um, and that donation tab is the easiest way for you to, to contribute, to give something. That'll put you in the loop. Um, we do have a newsletter that comes out. Um, we've got other program opportunities. And this is our 30th year celebration. Wow. So um, December 8th, we're going to celebrate 30 years of the community. All stakeholders we're going to invite. It's going to be a big shindig down in Nashville, but also there's going to be some satellite locations and some ways to participate virtually. So I think that's going to be a great way to just learn about the organization and kind of hear what the past 30 years was able to accomplish and what we're doing in the 30 years to come. What? Awesome. I'll make sure that we put the link to the website in our uh, in the notes for the podcast. So. And, and just Very one follow-up before the final four is, um, what's the time commitment? You said it starts at, say, you, you enroll. Is it two hours a week virtually, four hours a week for, for someone that's, uh, let's say, not in Nashville or in one of your cities with the virtual academy? Yeah. <clears throat> So we don't want to we don't want to compete with extracurriculars mm -hmm. or with school. We want to be supplemental. So right now we do once a month um, for existing students every third Thursday for new students every fourth Thursday, mm -hmm. seven thirty. It's like clockwork. Okay, yeah. you you know that <laughs> fourth Thursday, seven o'clock, Mr. Way is going to host a session, uh, and we just introduce things. Right, uh -huh. so very introductory, very high level. We'll bring a, a corporate executive to talk about something, take some live Q and A, and we'll put together a fun exercise to get the students engaged. Uh, our, our really intensive programs are during the summer. And so we ask students to block a week out. So we take a week for a business camp or a championship camp. 
that'll be Monday to Friday, you know, 10 a.m. to to until. Um, but those are those are meant to not compete with sort of the academic uh, okay. rigor. So we understand like it's just you can't get around GPA. People are going to look at how you perform in school and say that's how much effort you gave. So we want to make sure that we're supplemental to that stuff. We're not um, detracting from those those pieces. No, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, now, we're, we're, are you ready for Final Four? This is a theme that we have. Let's do it. And, 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 and it may be a little personal, but not too personal. But Alvin, okay. I mean, it's amazing what you've done and what you've accomplished, and even just your journey being an alumni and coming back full circle. But if you had to have dinner with anyone living or dead, whether it's Jesus, Muhammad Ali, or whomever, who would be those three representatives that you would want at your table? And who and why would you want those representatives at your table for dinner? I, I think it'd be kind of boring. So it's, well, let me not say boring, but like, I, I think Martin Luther King's just an interesting guy, man. Like you, you if you listen to his speeches, and I, I still on accident, so like, you listen to his stuff long enough, you'll start talking like him. And it's very like, it's very beautiful, actually, you know, it's very ceremonial. Um, and he, he just went through a lot. And he was young, too. Like Martin Luther King was assassinated at a very young age. So I certainly want to. He seems busy. I feel like, you know, people who you think, you know, are a little different. So I don't know if he's going to be a happy lunch guy. But I, I, I'm curious about his story. Um, there's um, LeBron James is just, you know, I we're the same age, not, not down to the like 10, 10 weeks apart, not 10 weeks apart, like 10 days apart. So he doesn't know he's my best friend, but he is. So we'll we'll, we'll put those things together. No, no, no. Um, but I, you know, I picked him up in 03 because he graduated high school when I quit basketball. I was like, I'm not going to do this, and this guy is going to be the one I, I cheer for. And man, what he's done is just phenomenal. Yeah. So I, I think it'd be cool to just talk to him and, and link up and and um, I, I keep forget, his name is Herman. Um, I'm going to butcher his last name. He he owned a construction company in Atlanta, Georgia. He was. Um, what's his last name, Andre Herman? Uh, From Atlanta. Um, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, it, it just left my, the last name piece. But so, so I found out that he was the one that was kind of bankrolling the civil rights movement, right? I know there were others involved, but you go to jail. Herman Russell, I think, is his name. Russell. Herman Russell. Uh, he he would cut a check, you know, because because getting in jail is not good. You, you needed space to meet. He would do that, and so I think the genesis of me. Because if I'm being honest, I don't know that I'm a business guy. You give me too much money and I'm out, right? I'm not coming to work tomorrow. <laughs> so that's why, that's why I flip-flop. That's why I kind of, I'm, I'm in the nonprofit world, but I still study business because I, I just, I can't do that. And I don't trust not knowing what's going on here. But I, I found power in the fact that he was able to take his financial resources and without being front center stage, support this movement. Mm -hmm. Because without that, Martin's still be in Birmingham, yeah. you know, in jail. And, and and a lot of those other people. And so that, that to me was a way that, that was a narrative that was like, hey, man, like business doesn't have to be evil. You can take these financial resources and do really good things. Um, so I, I'd love to, to kind of sit and talk to talk to that guys, too. So, you know, not not I didn't say Prince or Dennis Rodman. I mean, those guys are interesting as well. Um, but that would be kind of my three if I had to, to have a quick conversation. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Herman, Herman Russell um, has an interesting story. I'm not sure if you've read about his life in terms of how he came up. Have you heard about his, his story? If you get a chance, check okay. it out. It's fascinating. Yeah. He, uh, he had a speech impediment. Mm. And growing up, um, he went to Tuskegee and he, you know, was trying to make it as a uh, drywall carpenter because that's what his dad did. Um, but he just kind of built the business around that. And eventually he started a construction construction company. He had a large hand in building uh, or renovating Hartsfield Airport. Airport yep. back, yeah. Back when uh, Mayor Jackson was, was the mayor there. But if you guys get a chance, check out the story. It's fascinating. This guy achieved tremendous success in spite of the challenges that he faced uh, along the way. Okay, so the next question we have for you, um, if you were to write an autobiography, 
What would the title be? If I was right, I'd, it'd probably be what you talking about, Wade. You know, that's, 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 that's the most frequent response I get from everyone I love. You know, I started talking to my wife about what are you talking about, Wade? Like, like, I, I think life is just interesting. I think I didn't learn to learn until like five years ago, you know, like, and, and I think there's so much to learn. And, and I like to share that because I, I, I'm an oversharer and I'm an extrovert <laughs> and I talk a lot. So, so it was certainly what, what I mean, I'm being cheeky, but I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to learn. And for me, I think helping people see that has become really important and kind of making the world bigger. Right. And so when people are curious, they're like, what are you talking about? And I try to bait them in, right? Because a lot of times I'm talking about things that I think are, are beyond. But that's, that's what I would title it just to kind of get people in there. Hopefully there's more substance <laughs> to my life. I like that. I'll definitely suck yeah, them in. Yeah, I like yeah, that title. I, I don't think we had that one. I like that one. No, and we haven't had that one. Here, here's the third question, uh, Alvin. What would you say is your superpower? That one thing that's like, like your superpower that you do or that's 100% you – being born 10 days from LeBron James, or maybe you dunk with two hands or something. Who knows? <laughs> this, is, this is a little dark, but um, you, you can't tell. I'm like a, a 250-pound, 6'3 black man. You know what really? I mean? Like, like, if I were to stand up, I am a lot bigger than most people, right? And I'm just disarming, man. Like, I can make you smile. I can make you laugh. I don't threaten you, you know? Um, yeah. I, I feel like as a black man in America, that's a superpower. That you is, know? Yeah. Like, that's one of my things, man. <laughs> For sure. How you doing, bro? Yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's <laughs> work there. Um, but yeah. I, I actually I, I don't know many people I don't like. You know, I've got I've got like, what 20, 2,700 actual friends on Facebook and I'm friends with like all of them. Oh. You know, I can go to lunch with them. So I, I think um just being open minded and, and and being able to disarm people because sometimes life just beats you down. People mm -hmm. people don't want to talk to you, people frown all the time. I'm generally a happy dude, man. So, so I think that has mentally kept me in a good space. That's my superpower right there. Awesome. I'm, I'm gonna make you smile. I like I, that. I, I'm, I'm smile man. So maybe that's. <laughs> I'm partial to that smile thing. So that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the the title of our podcast, Dre is Smiley. So growing up, he and and, and Cam told me this story. Like his entire life, his nick. I'm not sure when it first started. The name, his nickname was Smiley. <laughs> and he'd go to new jobs. And they first meet him, they're like, oh, I know what we're going to do. We're going to call you Smiley, as if it was the no. first time he's ever heard that, right? I know, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's yeah, infuriating, yeah. because it's like, now I want to frown. Yeah. You guys have that in common. Um, so the, our final question here. Alvin, what would you say to date is your greatest success? My greatest success? Um. <clears throat> I feel like I've I've done things my way, not not like a Jay Z way, but like this this month I'll celebrate eleven years of marriage. Um, I, I have two children. I spend as much time as I like to with them. I'm still doing something that I think is fulfilling, and um, I, I didn't know if I'd find that balance right. And so for me, I, I feel like if I had gone and made a bunch of money, knowing that I grew up middle class, I wouldn't even know what to do with it, right? So I couldn't say that that was you know I made fifty million dollars, like that wouldn't be it. But I, I think I'm living the way I wanted to live when I was a kid. So when I was 14, I said, what kind of life do you want? Still Southern, still Tennessean, you know, people getting married at 24, going to church with two kids and a dog. Um, but I've been able to hold on to that lifestyle. And I think for, for people who are very entrenched in business, sometimes that's difficult, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I feel like I have the ability to put my head down and, and figure out hard business problems. 
life is a whole nother beast. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I think the the fact that I can do things that I enjoy and I can sustain myself financially and I still feel good about that um, is, is just beyond me. So I'm really proud about that. And I protect that. I, I'm, I fight for that. So I don't let anyone kind of creep into that space. That's what I'm most proud of. Oh, that's a huge, that's a huge yeah. uh, success. It's a huge success. A lot of people have it backwards in terms of, you know, let me make more money. I'll find happiness there. Once I get to 50 million, once they get there, obviously what happens? You're going to be 100 millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember sitting at a table in Chicago and this, well, I won't call names, but this guy was talking about, I was around two guys and they were talking about cars and the boats and, you know, this house is 60 million. And I, at that moment, I thought to myself, I don't, I'm not jealous at all. Like, I don't have it, but there's no part of me that even wants that. And, like, that's big because I think I think that greed is what pulls a lot of people off sides, right? Greed will get you. Mm-hmm. And so to 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 be the guy that, that can't be pulled off sides by those types of financial resources felt really good because I felt like, okay, I got a chance of not being corrupted or, you know, <laughs> or, or losing yeah. my way. But I was, I was at a table and I heard about all this stuff and I thought to myself, like, that that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just didn't. So that's that's that, that made me feel good about what I was doing. Wow. Well, thank you. Well, Alvin, we've come to the end, man. Kev, you want to uh, say anything before we wrap it up here? Man, I want to thank you, uh, Alvin, and and then Mr. Pastor Kurt. I mean, I've never heard of your program, never heard of him until Andre mentioned it. And I was just immersed in your everything that you've done. And I'm just so, I, like I said, I'm going to look and see if I can get my daughter into there because it's just amazing what you're doing. And my hat's off to you and, and Mr. Kurt, Pastor Kurt, for all that he's done for having a vision. And thanks for t- giving us your time to be on our pod. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Alvin. Alvin, it's been great, man. Appreciate your time. Um, I'll add a link to the website in the show notes so those that are interested, parents or students, can easily access the site and donate or join the program. All right. Appreciate that. It's been fun. Appreciate the platform. I love telling the story. And uh, Andre, thanks for inviting me to, to be on. You guys keep up all the good work. 